Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of GodPod. And uh, today we have uh, myself, Graham Tomlin, and we also have Jane Williams. Hello, Jane. Hello. Hi. And we also have a guest today who is the Reverend Dr. Matthias Griba. So, Matthias, lovely to have you with us. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's lovely uh, to be with you. Very good. Now, as you can probably guess from Matthias's accent, um, he's, he, he's not English. He's, he's German. Isn't that right, Matthias? That's right. So I was born in Germany, grew up uh, and came over for ordination training in 2007. Yeah, brilliant. And um, so Matthias at the moment is um, lecturer and the- in tutor in theology at uh, St. Melitus College in London. Um, those of you who are regular listeners, listeners to Godpod uh, will know that um, Godpod is kind of based in St. Melitus and Matthias has joined the staff relatively recently. And um, Matthias, you've done a lot of work on uh, Karl Barth in the past. Is that right? And your doctorate, is that right? Yeah, so my doctorate, I concentrated on Barth's doctrine of election and atonement. And um, what was really the, the motivation for the study uh, to look at these two doctrines was the pastoral concern. Um, yeah, good, yeah. And you've also um, written on um, on Brexit. In fact, both of us have uh, contributed to a book on Brexit. We're not going to talk about Brexit today. It's slightly <laughs> old news, but um, yeah. <laughs> but that yeah, is something that you, you were involved in a project to do with um, to do with that in the past, weren't you? So I've I've worked for the Council for Christian Unity, um, and um, there I've been involved in ecumenical dialogue with churches abroad, and especially focusing. Uh, dialogue with the ch- churches in Germany, and so Brexit obviously is a is a topic that you discuss when it comes to ecumenical dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, we we discussed it at length quite some time ago, so um, I think we'll, we'll move on from Brexit today. But um, and I also ought to say that Matthias is also the um, he also works at a church in Cambridge. It's dead with the King and Martyr, which is um, yeah, so involved in pastoral ministry as well as academic life uh, as well. But today are we going to um, now, I must make apologies to Mike at this point. Those of you who are regular listeners to God Pod, you all know Michael Lloyd, um, who we sometimes call as Dr. Evil, because his um, great uh, theme is suffering and evil. And we're actually going to have another go at uh, the uh, topic of suffering and evil, but without Mike present. So we'll have to work out what Mike thinks about what we say at the end of the day um, at a later stage. Yeah. But um, have to give him a chance to reply, won't we, at some point? Exactly. But he's not around today. So while the, you know, while the, the, the cat's away, the mice will play. Um, but it's something that, uh, Matthias, you've been thinking quite a bit about recently, written one or two things about it and are, uh, writing something um, larger on this theme, this age-old theme that Christians keep on coming back to, which is the, the problem of evil and suffering. And so, um, Matthias, it'd be nice to, to have a go at that together and to think about how we approach this. And um, so do you, want, do you want to lay out, just broadly speaking, the kind of approach you take to this and uh, what are the, the thoughts that have been motivating you as you've um, thought about this topic theologically in the past yeah, thank you. Um, so my, my current work looks, as you say, at theodicy, and uh, which entails in a way a twofold problem. 
So the first is that of human suffering in light of a loving God and the problem of evil in light of God's omnipotence and God's omniscience. So the approach I take in, in the work, in the project that I'm writing is to tackle these issues from a Trinitarian and cross-centered perspective. What I mean by this is I look at the biblical narrative and what I see there is an unfolding of God's kenotic life um, in what I identify as three stages in history. So I look at the creation, I look at cross, uh, the cross, and I look at Pentecost. And so what I see is a successive kenosis. And I see kenosis here um, as God's self-giving or God's coming closer and closer into the world. So kenosis as pleurosis, uh, God's filling the world more and more with his holy presence. Kenosis meaning the self-emptying of God, as in that Philippians 2 passage. And then yes, pleurosis is the kind of filling of the world. Is that yes. right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think this is something that um, the biblical writers you're examining would recognize, Matthias, or is this very much a, um, a, a post-Holocaust, a, a, a modern kind of approach? This whole understanding of theodicy of justifying God um, is that something you find in the fathers? Is that something you find in in the the medieval period and the reformers, or is this a very modern preoccupation? Yeah, I think that's a good question, Jane. I think um, it is a, uh, my project, first of all, focuses sort of on post-Holocaust theology. And I think um, it, the, 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 this new wave, I would say, in modern theology, which started um, after the, the two world wars, you know, ha has really brought suffering um, and also the, uh, the question, can God suffer, uh, center stage, which... I, I would say it's not as um, predominant in the early church fathers. Though obviously Irenaeus and other um, church fathers looked at this process of, of soul making. So the idea that um, humanity, but also this world is on this path towards perfection. So I, I also look at uh, some of these uh, thoughts from the early fathers and include this in, in more modern ideas of theodicy. And your idea about um, this progressive self-emptying of God in, in creation, cross and Pentecost, how, how does that help us approach the question of, 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 of suffering? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so when we look at the biblical picture of light and darkness, which I think is, is quite a helpful way, you know, as we, we see it in the writings of St. John, God is light and there's no darkness. Then the question is, where does that darkness come from, mm. um, which, we which we identify as evil? So you might say that this act, God's first act in creatio ex nihilo, um, is this withdrawal of God himself, um, God's self-limiting for the sake of the other. Uh, for the sake of the world to, to exist. So in creation, God gives space, you might say, for the world and human development. Um, but that also entails the possibility uh, for evil. Giving space in the sense of creating something which he does not, which is not him, which, which is something he, other than himself. Yes, you might. You yeah, yeah, exactly. So what you, you, you could sort of see God giving space 
um, as God dimming his own light in some way. Um, now, I'm not saying that God is not present. He's ever present. He's just invisible. And God wants us to seek him. Um, that's his desire to be in union with us. But he allows a space uh, for us, for human development, because we are not um, like God. God is fullness. Um, God is perfection. He is holiness. Whereas we are composite beings of essence and existence. Uh, we are in this process of becoming. So we're going towards that perfection, towards God's holiness. We're going towards that fullness. Um, but we are not uh, there yet. Um, we are not uh, God. So, so God allows us that space. Um, and by the power of the, the, the spirit, obviously, we are, this world and we are being uh, perfected. So the idea behind this is the notion that we see in Leviticus 19, you know, be holy for I am holy, or Jesus picking up that, that theme of perfection in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5, I'm perfect, or and be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So there's that path of, 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 of perfection towards holiness. And I mean, is there uh, any evidence that we are getting any holier? Uh, I mean, there seems, um, it, uh, I suppose I'm, you're, you're, a, you're an ordained person, Matthias, you're approaching this um, as a pastor as well as a theologian. Um, do you think this approach actually makes sense to people and helps them understand? Or does it, um, is it in danger of diminishing God's presence and action, uh, God's liberating um, and enabling spirit um, who uh, meets us in our deficiency, not in our striving? I, I I can see where you're coming from, and I and I think when we look at this world, especially in the 20th and 21st century, you might say that this this approach in itself sounds a bit ludicrous. Because are we really going towards perfection? Are we really going towards something? But I think that is the um, what 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 is happening uh, that is that the, the spirit is drawing us into the Christ event. So I'm not saying that we are perfecting ourselves, mm. but that perfection, which is already a reality in Christ. So that one of the theologians that I look at is Bonhoeffer. Um, and Bonhoeffer in his ethics writes about the Christ reality, which unites heaven and earth, time and eternity, God and the world. So the reality that we're going towards is already, um, or is already, present in, in Christ, manifest. And, and so you might say that the Pauline maxim is be who you are or become more fully who, who you are in Christ. So I'm, I'm not um, saying that we perfect ourselves, mm. but that perfection that is in Christ, that perfected holiness is something that we... Um, going towards when, when we live in unity uh, with, with the spirit. Mm. So, so would you say then, therefore, that, um, that evil is somehow necessary for the development of holiness? Is it necessary? Because I guess there's a large part of the, the tr theological tradition that says that evil is not necessary. It didn't have to, to be. It's a kind of eruption. It's a, it's a kind of invasion of an alien force into the, into the world, as it were. Um, or do you see that differently um, in the relationship between holiness and evil? 
I probably wouldn't want to speak about a necessity, but I would talk about it in terms of an inevitability. So it, it, because we are uh, created uh, and because we, 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 we as I said, we, we live in this tension of existence, uh, essence and existence uh, in, in this transformation towards something, um, evil is just a uh, inevitability in the created order. Um, be, be, because there's that precondition that in a way that God allows and gives that space for our human development. And if we are on this path um, towards the light and life uh, in, in Christ, it is towards that perfection. But there's also uh, the, the other possibility that we are turning away uh, from, from, from that light and life uh, and go on that path of destruction and death. To, to um, clarify in my own mind what I think you're saying, I suppose, um, are you saying therefore that, that in some ways that the trajectory of human life, whether an individual human life or humanity as a whole, is, is if you like towards this fullness of God, this, this lightness. And so if you like in the beginning, it's almost as if we, we, we don't exist at all, but we come into existence, but we have to grow into perfection or, or or maturity would be another word for that i guess you take you back to the greek word teleosis which is sometimes translated perfection sometimes maturity um i guess i'm thinking of the image of that c.s lewis uses i think it's in the great divorce isn't it of of, of um you know of, uh, if you like of heaven being a place where things are more substantial you know they're kind of more real and um you know hell is a place where things are not real at all so if you like, you know, we come to, to have real substance, real kind of essence, as opposed to um, uh, the, the opposite is not some sort of, you know, alternative existence, but it's non-existence, if you like. And yes. so, with, so the, the trajectory is towards a more substantial form of humanity, um, more, more substantial form of being away from a kind of non-being. Is that the opposition you're, you're working with? Yes, uh, that, that, that's exactly it. So, so the, to come back to, to the beginning of your question, I think the, the, the eschatological vision is that God is all in all. Um, and the, the starting point is really Christ, uh, in whom and to whom and through whom everything is, is created. So coming back to, to Bonhoeffer's understanding of, of the Christ reality, um, it is in him that everything has that, their being. So life uh, is... Is, is in Christ and he holds everything together. So it's, it is, um, he, he is the, uh, the mediator of, of, of all of creation. And in, in, in that way, um, he is the image of the invisible God. And it is, it is as, um, a being transformed more and more into his likeness. So we are the we are the imago dei. We are the image bearer of God, but we actually well, we, it, it is the image of Christ, as 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 Paul says. So we are we're being formed into into the image of the Son. Bonhoeffer is a really interesting person to dialogue with on this, isn't he, Matthias? Because he was not in any doubt about the reality of evil, yeah. Um, given his context. Yeah. Uh, why have you chosen what, what does Bonhoeffer is it the Christology of Bonhoeffer that, that is your... yes I, I've chosen Bonhoeffer because I find his Christology um, so informative and, 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 and so deep uh, especially the, when he talks about uh, the Christ reality in ethics 
that 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 joining of of heaven and earth earth that christ is the alpha and the omega and that in him everything comes together and so the idea um of of this duality i think we also see in the hebrew word of life uh Chaim, which is which is a which is a dual word so there's a physical life but there's also a spiritual life but in christ this duality is one reality christ our hope of the resurrection is it, is, it, is it right then that the the opposition between sort of good and e- good and evil, if you put it that way, is kind of equivalent to the duality between sort of being and non-being, in the sense that you know goodness is substantial, it's real, it's it's you know it's something towards which we are we are kind of moving, and evil is feel like is non-being, it's the kind of the absence of of things, uh, and that you know in the sense that everything that God has created is good. But the absence of good is the absence of anything at all, and so evil is actually the destruction of everything. Is that the kind of idea you're you're working with? That that's exactly the idea. So, in light of evil's destructive uh, destructive force in nature, um, I have to confess that I struggled for 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 quite a long time with Augustine's doctrine of evil, mm. um, which is so prominent in the West: evil as insubstantial as privation, as you mentioned, mm. Bishop Graham, uh, a lack of something. Um, that this parasitic state of, of creaturely being, I guess, uh, ontologically speaking, evil does not exist. Um, Bard uses the, the, the phrase evil is nothingness um, because it begs the question, what is lacking or w- w- what is absent for evil to be manifest? Um, in my case, the penny drop, when I looked at evil uh, creation uh, and the cross from this trinitarian point of view and again it was augustine uh, which helped me to clarify my own thoughts here his beautiful description of the doctrine of the trinity as uh, god uh, the father the lover the son the beloved and the bond of love um the, the holy spirit spirit was very informative um so the, the the holy spirit that bond of love that flows from father and and son um which also the, the spirit who incorporates us into the Christ event um, and, and makes us partakers of the divine life. That, I think, is the absence, the, the lack, the privation. You might say the absence of the gift of life. So coming back to what you said about being and non-being, life and death. The, the life-giving presence of the spirit in our life uh, is, 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 is that privation. And... And I see this reflected in Pauline theology, where where, where Paul emphasizes um, his readers um, and and the churches he writes to, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So we can quench the Spirit. um, um, And when we quench the Spirit, when we push, so to speak, the Spirit out, um, that then the the possibility of evil arises which nestles in the human heart and when we act upon our misdirected or misguided desires then evil uh, can become a reality so evil is is the absence of god's full presence in our thoughts and our actions so um turn now to your your pastoral side matthias and um when when we're facing suffering or bereavement or the consequences of evil 
in the world. Um, how, what are you going to say to people in the, under those circumstances? You're obviously not going to tell them to read Bonhoeffer. What are you, how yeah. are you actually going to engage them in, 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 in this in a way that's going to be helpful? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And um, I think I want to say from the outset that suffering and evil and sin, um, this is a pastoral question. In everyday life, the Odyssey is not a theoretical question, but yeah. it's a practical pastoral one. The question that people ask is, why does allow God my suffering? Why does he allow me to suffer? So it's very, it's an existential question, which cannot be explained away with certain theories of the atonement um, or with theories of uh, theodicy. What I would do um, and what I do in my personal life is um, I turn to the Psalms. I turn to them, I read them, I pray them together with the psalmist in my time of sorrow and suffering. And, and there the, the existential cry is reflected. Where are you, God? Why are you so distant? Um, and, and it is in this, in this invocation of the holy name that by the power of the spirit, we, we experience that God's comforting presence. Um, that is the, the, the divine mystery, you know, that when we call upon his name, you know, our times of sorrow, he will be close to us. It relates perhaps to the, you know, the, the, the answer to suffering given at the end of the book of Job, of course, because Job is perhaps the text in scripture that most um, fully enters into and explores the sort of reality of suffering in the world. And it always strikes me that the end of the book of Job, um, you know, all, all, it's 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 not that he gets an answer he doesn't give a he doesn't get a sort of nice neat explanation as to why he has gone through these terrible sufferings that he's that he's had what he gets is an epiphany a, a kind of revelation of god you know god actually appears to him and asks him all kinds of questions you know where were you when i created the world where were you when i put the stars in space and so on and and in some ways job has no answer and in some ways he, so what what god gives him is not not an answer not a neat answer but simply his his presence and the and the and what strikes me is that the, the different thing that happens at the end of the book of Job and some of the things that God says at the end are things that actually Job's counsellors have said earlier on, similar arguments. But the difference is it's God saying it. Um, and actually what, what Job needed was not just arguments and words and stuff that was coming from these counsellors, but he just needed God. He needed Absolutely. the presence of God. And that somehow is the answer ultimately to the presence and problem of evil and suffering in the world. It's the presence of God, not some neat philosophical explanation. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember one of my first lectures um, I, uh, when I studied in Tübingen, um, and it was on the, on the Psalms, Book of Psalms, and um, we looked at these Psalms of Lament, and my professor was, was talking about, in, in German it's called Umschwung, the, the, the swing of the pendulum, so from lament to praise, and it seems to appear suddenly and there's no middle bit. It, there's lament and then there's praise. And he would always say, that is the intervention of God. So during our lament, as we pray, as we reach out to God, God comes close to us um, by his presence. And then he changes our, our hearts, our minds, our outset and restores a, a, a hope in us. And, and, and so the, the psalmist needs to change from lament to praise because God is uh, with the prayer. I found it very helpful what you were saying about 
um, I mean, it's obviously the action of the Holy Spirit to bring the presence of God. Um, and we don't always think of praying for the, we don't always think of praying, come Holy Spirit at times of bereavement or when we're facing um, the consequences of evil and suffering. And, and it's, it's actually very helpful, Matthias, to think that that, that might be one of the most important places to pray, come Holy Spirit, come bring the presence uh, of God. Um, uh, and um, I think that's something that, that we can, all of us, take into pastoral practice afresh. Yes, absolutely. Um, w w without, without the presence of God, without that hope that the presence of God brings, that hope of resurrection, I would say life becomes meaningless. It became, becomes pointless uh, and nihilistic in, in times of, of suffering and death. And one of my earliest funerals was that of a, of a child that was not older than six hours. And there was nothing that, that I could say or do to, to take away that, that, that pain. Um, um, and it, it was only in the liturgy and the, and, and the, the, the words of comfort in, in the gospels uh, that, that, that I could read to, to, to the parents and ask God to, to do the rest. I mean, to, to be there, to comfort them. If I can just um, just press into one particular issue, I guess we often, end, when we talk about these things, we we conflate evil and suffering. We talk about them the same way, but they are different things. And I wonder if you could tease out what your sense of the difference between them is. And I guess I've got in mind, you know, John Swinton's book, um, Raging with Compassion, where he, he kind of makes a, a great deal of the difference between them. And he says that suffering... Um, you know, does does suffering cause evil, or does evil cause suffering? And how do you look at that? But he but he talks about you know suffering is evil when it takes away hope. Um, that that and he suggests that not all suffering is necessarily evil, but that suffering that takes away hope, in other words, takes away the presence of God. That's what's yeah. That's I would, what's evil. I would. Would, would I you would, go along with that? I would absolutely go along with that. So, in in this material world. Um, suffering is is just part of um who, who who we are so if we we touch a hot plate our body reacts and uh, and 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 we feel pain but it is necessary in uh, to 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 protect us um but as you so say that, that kind of that, suffering is not evil in itself exactly exactly that's just who we are um uh, or if you trip over and bang your knee and have to put a plaster on it, yes, that's just yes. the way the way the world yeah, is. Yeah. That we have but, bodies that, that that hurt and there's there's hard you know, ground to, to 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 you know to to wound us and so on. So that in yeah. itself is not evil. Not yeah. all suffering is evil. In that exactly. Way. But there's also obviously suffering inflicted by one person onto the other, hmm. and and I would say that is most of the time evil suffering. Hmm. So if we inflict um, um, physical pain onto another person. I guess it opens up the possibility that suffering that suffering can sometimes lead to hope, can, can sometimes lead to a rediscovery of hope in the presence of God in that sense. Um, and maybe that kind of suffering is, is a way of redeeming suffering. So it's not something that separates us from God, evacuates hope, takes away any sense of, of purpose or, or, or meaning, but actually leads us back into the, the presence of God. And therefore, you know, suffering can be redemptive in that way. Is that, do, would you understand that in that way? 
Well, I would say that that is also what Paul, uh, you know, says in uh, in Second Corinthians. Um, there's that passage. I think it's in Second Corinthians four, where it talks about that our sufferings perfect the sufferings of Christ, which is a very interesting concept. Um, you know, how do we perfect anything? Uh, how can we perfect uh, what Christ has done? But it is that participation in the suffering of the suffering servant. You know, it's that suffering for the gospel. It's that suffering for uh, the, the kingdom of God, for the right cause um, that, that I think uh, brings glory to God. You know, uh, what, what we are as image bearers is to reflect God's God's light, God's um, glory, and we're and and at times, yes, that that suffering that we experience for for the gospel reflects uh, the glory of God, which is a difficult concept, um, and it, it, it is not something I would say lightly uh, to somebody who is suffering, mm. but it is something that I do not want to rule out especially because Paul talks about uh, a, a suffering and a suffering that leads to, to, to perfection. Um, but not all suffering does. And, and, and so we need to be very careful, especially in the pastoral context, you know, how do we talk about uh, uh, suffering? Yeah. I guess we can all think of people who have been through suffering and yet somehow that suffering has formed and shaped them into people with a sense of depth and empathy and, and wisdom that they somehow wouldn't have had without it. That doesn't make the suffering a good thing, no. um, but it does mean the, the redemptiveness of it. Matthias, um, thank you so much for, for what you've offered us today. I mean, if, if people wanted to read a little bit more around this, uh, where would you suggest they go to kind of um, explore these, these themes? Yeah, so a little bit of self um how do you say self um promotion that's all right yes. that's okay. we are <laughs> um, on god pod yes thank you i'm i'm, I'm editing uh, a handbook on suffering and the problem of evil with tnt clark and uh, it will have over 75 entries uh, from a biblical historical dogmatic philosophical perspective so uh, that that's something that will be published hopefully fairly soon and uh, so i would refer people to 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 the publication Thank you. Yeah. Well, Jane, I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering what Mike would say to all this. Maybe we'll get a yes, chance I to think, ask him at some point. I think we will have to let him um, respond, won't we? Have you back, <laughs> yes, Matthias? Exactly. So, Matthias, thank you so much for um, offering your thoughts. It's been really interesting just to explore this um, particular approach to the problem of suffering and evil within the world. So, um, uh, so thank you, Matthias. Thank you again, Jane. Thank you Lovely for having here. me. Good. And uh, thank you, all of those of you listening to this episode of Godpod. And no doubt we'll be back again with another one before too long. Okay, goodbye. That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.